Thank you for joining in for this City Lights Church podcast. We're a new church in the north of Brisbane, and you can find out more about us at www.citylights.community. We hope that this podcast encourages you in your journey of following Jesus. Well, uh, you are, if you didn't know this already, if the mirror didn't tell you this morning, you are looking incredible today. So I don't know, some of you maybe are looking in that mirror and say, you come in the morning and say, hey, good looking, it's good to see you. But maybe some of you need some external encouragement as well. I'm so proud of our teams and all of those uh, who serve us and serve Jesus. So I just, we're so grateful uh, for what God is enabling us to be a part of and all the things uh, that we're seeing as well. Uh, just a bit of family news. This week we're expecting a new City Lights family member. Um, little Jethro uh, is like overdue today, right? So, uh, and it's a hot day. So let's pray for Shannon. All right, Shannon and Regan, incredible uh, couple in our church, and we're going to be uh, thinking of them and praying for them and supporting them as well. Well, if we haven't met, my name is Andrew, and uh, I, I love what we get to do. I love my job. Uh, I love uh, seeing lives transformed. That's, that's what energizes me. That's what gets me up in the morning. And uh, today we are launching a new series. And so we're going to jump into it. Earlier this week, um, I had to get some paperwork done and signed by a justice of the peace. And so I searched up online and I, I went to a suburban North Brisbane shopping centre and I was waiting in line with my paperwork to this kind of booth for these justices of the peace. And as I was waiting, I saw something that was, I thought, quite unusual. And I'll tell you why. I saw a middle-aged lady putting her hand on a worn Bible and then saying something off a script. Now, I didn't hear what she was saying, but she was swearing an oath on the Bible. And it got me thinking, why is this happening? Why? What kind of impact did a guy 2,000 years ago in the Middle East have that a Bible, partly written in Hebrew, uh, partly written in Greek, partly spoken in Aramaic, translated into English, could make its way and have such influence that it could appear 2,000 years later in a place called Australia, which is like pretty much as far from anywhere as you can get, right? And this lady would be doing it. And this is part of the power of Jesus and part of what we're celebrating at Easter. Now, this is not the whole story, and this lady probably didn't have a faith. Maybe she did or she didn't, but what kind of influence are we talking about? In fact, those that would understand our legal system would say that our legal system is largely based on Christian and Jewish principles, right? Of equity and fairness and justice. So what kind of impact, what kind of influence are we talking about? And when it comes to Easter, 
People are curious about Jesus. They may not be that curious about what they understand as Christianity. They may or may not be curious about what they understand as the church or the image of church that they have in their minds. But I believe that people are interested in Jesus and the teachings of Jesus. They are compelling. They're a bit like a moth to a light, right? They kind of draw you in. And sometimes they're a bit more like one of those insect killers. Sometimes when you get close enough, you get zapped by the teachings of Jesus. And that's a good thing. You can get challenged and energized and convicted. And so that's what we're looking at. We're looking at the teachings of Jesus. And one of his main messages was the kingdom of God. This is what he announced when he came. He announced the kingdom of God has come. In other ways, he talked about it like this. The kingdom of heaven has come. But it wasn't what people expected. Now, my parents, they're usually here. They're away in Sydney um, visiting uh, my brother and his family in Sydney. And many of you have met my parents, know my parents. And I would say that they're pretty good parents like most of the time. But let me tell you about a story uh, where it was a little bit dodgy, it was a little bit dicey, okay? Let's keep it here between us and all those listening on our podcasts, which they will be. So uh, I grew up in Brisbane when I was about, um, from about six till nine. I've moved around a lot, lived in 18 different houses, all right? And so... um, I was here, and when when we were in Brisbane, our family were preparing to go to Thailand as missionaries. And we were renting a house, and I desperately wanted a dog. Like, I love dogs. I think they're amazing, right? So this might be a theme for today, a dog theme. And so I wanted a dog, really any kind of dog, but there are a couple of breeds of dogs that I wanted. One of those breeds was a collie, you know, the border collie. And so one day, and this is the dodgy and dicey story about my dad. My dad came with this box and he said, Andrew, I have got you a collie. And I was so excited. I was picturing this black and white, furry, energetic creature. And my dad opened the box and in the box was a cauliflower. A bit of like an April Fool's joke, not on April Fool's. And I was devastated. Bad parenting, right? All right. Don't do that to your kids. When Jesus was talking about the kingdom of God, the people that he was talking to had an expectation. They had an expectation. And here was the expectation. The expectation is that somebody would come who was strong, who was powerful, And someone would restore the land to the people of Israel, the land that they had lost. And they would kick out the Romans or they'd kick out the Greeks or whoever was the regional superpower at that time. And so their expectation of Jesus was that this powerful military political figure who would reestablish this geographical kingdom And for those that know a little bit about the Bible, it would be like what it was like with King David. 
Because King David and King Solomon, they were successful. They had this kind of superpower and they were strong and they were prosperous. And this is what people expected. This is what they expected that people would do. Now, the challenge is that when Jesus came, he didn't do that. And so there was this mismatch of expectations. And Jesus was not talking about a military and political kingdom. He was talking about a dynamic and a spiritual kingdom. He was talking about something that you wouldn't need a passport to get to. And he was talking about something that lived within us and was around us and could be created, but it was in some respects a little bit intangible. Now, this is true when we study the teachings of Jesus, when we read particularly in the Gospels about what Jesus taught and what he said. We know this is true, but it does leave a little bit of a problem in that if it's spiritual, if it's dynamic, if it's not geographical, if it's not spatial, then how do we know when we're in it? What does it look like? What does it feel like? Is it just ethereal? Is it just entirely conceptual? And here's the thing, it wasn't. It was real. In fact, when the kingdom of God comes into you, it changes you and becomes more real than anything else. But still, we need to talk about this. And the kingdom was inside out, it's in us and can be created. And it was also upside down, it defied expectations. And that's what we're talking about in this series called the Upside Down Kingdom. And so we've got this problem. If the kingdom exists, like Jesus said it did, how do I enter it? If I can't see it, how can I experience it? What's involved? What is the cost? These are questions that we we ask, right? If there's something that exists that we could be invited to take part in. And so how will we know what it is and how will we know if it is within us? That's really important, right? So if it is as good as Jesus says it is, and if Jesus is the Son of God that we believe he is and we celebrate that at Easter, then What is it and how do I get in and how will I know? And so to look at that, today we're going to look at one of the iconic messages of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount. And we uh, pick this up in Matthew chapter 5. It'll be on the screen. You can read on your own device or your own Bible. I'll be in the NIV today. So here's... Let's go in. It says, Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. And his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. And he said, Blessed. Now, he says more than blessed, but here's where we're going to start. And before we go into this, I'm going to talk about what we see in this passage and then what we are going to see in the scriptures that we're going to read. So this word blessed, it means what God approves of. 
All right? It's what God says is authentically His. He gives the tick of approval. It's like the quality assurance. When God says something is blessed, it is God's opinion. It is His right, His prerogative to say if it's good or not, if it's approved of Him or not. Now, as I said, I grew up in a part of grew up in Thailand and in Bangkok, one of the knockoff capitals of the world, particularly back then. And so we were exposed to a lot of like cheap knockoffs of big brands. In fact, one time I loved basketball, and two of the great basketball figures at that time were Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. If you know a bit about basketball, two of the great players from the Chicago's Bull. Chicago Bulls. So there was this t-shirt. Now the original said back to back, right? So Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, right? Working together. Now my version, my cheap knockoff version just had Michael Jordan. So it was back to back with no back. All right. It was a dodgy ripoff knockoff. Now when Jesus says that this is blessed, it's approved by God, this is quality assured. This is not a cheap imitation. This is not a knockoff. This is the real deal, endorsed, made by the manufacturer. And so that's what we'll see. That's what we see, this word blessed. What we will see in these next verses is the use of paradoxes. Now, paradoxes are statements that seem absurd or illogical that are actually true. Let me give you an example. Less is more. So you might be like, less is more. Well, doesn't seem to make sense, but it's actually true. You've experienced that in your life in one way or another. Uh, uh, G.K. Chesterton defined a paradox as truth standing on its head, calling for attention. And so here in this passage, we see Jesus flip the flow. He flips the flow. He turns things on its head. And that's what we're going to explore and that is why we're calling this, see, this series the Upside Down Kingdom. And we're, today we're going to look at the first four verses. And we're answering this question. This is the question that we're answering. How will we know if the kingdom of God is within us? That, that's, I would say for me as someone who desires to follow Jesus, and maybe you're somewhere along that journey, how will we know... If the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven is within us. And I'm going to give you four signs that the kingdom of God is in you. And we're going to go uh, to this first one in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. And he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the first one. How will we know? This is the entry point into the kingdom of heaven. How will we know if we're poor in the spirit? Now, the issue is that being poor is not aspirational, is it? For most people, they're like, okay, what do you want to achieve with your life? Well, I I want to be poor. All right, it's not the dream of the father for their kids. We had, as you know, when we started this church, we did so just stepping out in faith with no financial support. And Rebecca's dad, wonderful, um, wonderful guy uh, in Sydney, not a Christian, so may not understand when I ring him up and say, hey, what's your son-in-law doing? Well, he's a full-time volunteer. 
Isn't that amazing? Now, God provided for us, but it's not logical or aspirational to say that I want to be poor. Now, what he is not meaning when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, is that you hate yourself or you carry this sense of diminished worth. But I'll tell you what it does mean. And the word uh, for poor, there are a number of Greek words for poor. But the word here is the word of a beggar. It's beggarly poor. It means that you are reliant on someone giving you every one of your needs. Everything that you need, you have to position yourself to get it. Now, I don't know what your travel experience is. I don't know if you have been to some nations and countries where they have beggars at such a level, right, that they are sometimes have physical ailments. And in many of these countries, there's not the support system that we enjoy in Australia. And these people are literally going from day to day, sometimes hour to hour, relying on people's generosity. And this is what it's saying. If you want to enter into the kingdom of God, you have to come to a place that says, without God, spiritually, I have nothing. Have you ever had a, a flat battery when you jump in your car and you turn the key and there's just like it might maybe click or make a sound, but you got nothing? This is like there is no, I'm jumping in my car and the destination is to get to God and I put my, the key in the ignition, I turn it, and I got nothing. I got zero. And this is what it means to be poor. The other thing that it means is to lack spiritual awareness. And here's how the most common way that people lack spiritual awareness is they say that they're a good person. You know, I, I'm a pretty good person. I, you know, I'm not like other people. But when we dig into the teachings of Jesus... If we want to connect with God, he puts the standard as perfection. He says it's not even just what you do, it's what you think about. It's what you speak about. It's how you consider someone. It's how you look at someone. Do you look at them with hatred? Do you look at them with lust? That's the standard. And for us to enter into the kingdom of God, how do we know that the kingdom is within us? This is the first sign and it's going to go up. It says you are aware you are spiritually bankrupt without God. This is the starting point for entering into the kingdom of heaven. And this is how you can tell. You come to the point where you say, God, you are my life source. No amount of money, no amount of status, no amount of relationships is enough. Even the good things that I have done, the times I help others, that's not enough. But if I'm going to enter into I've got to say, without you, I am spiritually bankrupt. That's the first sign. Can I just take a little detour right now? I know that there are people in this room and people listening on the podcast that you feel a little spiritually empty. And we are going to talk about that a little bit later. But I want to encourage you, the thing that I want to encourage you is to see God as your primary source of life. 
to see God as your first port of call before you open the fridge. For me, before you open that bucket of M&Ms, before you open that bottle, before you pick up your phone, before you turn on that television, if we are to seek true life, we must start with Jesus. And we must get in a habit of doing that, that Jesus is our first port of call, not our last resort. And so if I want to become refreshed, if I am growing spiritually, I start with Jesus. I bring myself, I bring my circumstance, I come as I am. And I just wanted to throw that in. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that later. The second one is this, Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. It says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comfortable. Comfortable. Comforted. And again, Jesus flips the flow. Who knows that loss is not aspirational? And I would say, if you are upset around me, I would probably try and cheer you up. That's not a bad thing. God is not saying that we should be depressed or we should be an emotional roller coaster, but let's look at what he is saying. And here's the question. Are you ready for it? You ready for this? What moves your emotions? What moves your emotions? And I would say this, true Christianity manifests in what we laugh about and what we weep about. True Christianity manifests in what we laugh about and what we weep about. And I would say, myself included, that sometimes and often we laugh about things that we should weep about and we weep about things we should laugh about. So in our heart of hearts, this is the emotional counterpart of that first one, being poor in spirit. Do we grieve over sin? Does the brokenness that we see in the world around us, does it touch us emotionally? The plight of the poor, does that move our hearts? Does that move our spirits? This is what God is saying. It says, blessed are those who mourn. The kingdom of God is in you. Here's the second thing. The kingdom, how you know the kingdom of God is in you is that you are emotionally moved by what moves God. And it's only then when we begin to grieve sin and brokenness and loss that we can allow the comfort of the Holy Spirit to flood our hearts. Is this good? We've done two so far. Got two more to go. Matthew chapter 5, it says this, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek. Now, personally, this idea, the concept of meekness is one that is personally fascinating to me. What it is about this term. Now, there's a couple of images that throughout history people have talked about this. One is that uh, 
bridled warhorse, so that strength under control, or perhaps even those man from Snowy River fans in our Australian audience, that kind of Brumby, the wild Brumby that gets harnessed. That's, a, that's one of the images. The other is having the sword in its sheath. So not always resorting to violence, but it being able to negotiate and bring peaceful solutions. Even Aristotle, uh, the ancient Greek philosopher, he explained that meekness is the mean between excessive anger and excessive angerlessness. So the man who is meek is able to balance his anger. It is strength under control. Here are some other things. Meekness is a desire to see others' interests advance ahead of one's own. But this next one is probably my favourite one. Meekness is not having to push your way in. Let me say that again. Meekness is what? Not having to push your way in. Here is a big question that all of us face each day, whether or not we're aware of it. The big question is this, how will I get what I want? That question, in some version or another, dominates more of your thinking than what you would care to admit. Am I, am I real or? Yeah. Well, I know I'm real, but am I speaking to you? I think I'm real. You know, we, how do I get what I want? And here is the third one. We know that the kingdom of God is in us. You'll know the kingdom of God is in you when you don't have to force your way through life. If we are trying to force our way through life, if we are saying this life is about me getting what I want in whatever way I can, then we are missing the idea of the kingdom in which we're to partner with God in life. And we actually exist not just for ourselves, but to bring glory to God and to bring hope and help to those around us. This is what it means to be in the kingdom of God. And the opposite of meekness is a couple of things. It's, one is harshness. If you are mean, if you lack gentleness, you are not meek. If you are grasping, you always want to get yours first. You're holding on tight. You don't care about how your, affections, your actions affect others. If you are vengeful, if you are known as someone, do not cross that person because they will make you pay. You are not meek. If you are uncontrolled, if your life is full of explosions of anger, then I would encourage you to embrace the invitation to have the meekness of God, that strength under control within you. It's not about being a pushover. It's not about uh, losing your strength or your energy or your power. It's just about partnering with that, allowing the Spirit of God to control you and to control your emotions. And this is what it means. You know when you don't have to force your way through life. Here's another thing that I would say. Forcing your way through life is incredibly tiring. It's incredibly tiring. If you think that your whole life relies on you making it happen, man, maybe a couple of people will do that 
with a lot of collateral along the way. Maybe you know someone who does that and maybe that person is you at some times. This is what it means. The kingdom of God is within us when we don't have to force our way through life. The last one here, Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. It says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Here's something that we know. You are what you eat. This is true, right? So there is a well-documented, I have a well-documented M&M addiction in this church. In fact, when our family had COVID, we received huge amounts of chocolate, not just M&Ms. And we are so grateful for that. And I credit that for my fast recovery. (laughs) I'll have an internet account very soon. All right. But we are what we eat. In fact, how do we know? Well, my son, who's five, last week we were watching footy and he's laying on the lounge on my tummy and he says, Dad, I love to lay on your soft, fat tummy. (laughs) You are what you eat. So here's what we know, whether or not we take action, is that we need to be attentive and intentional about our diet. We need to be attentive and intentional about our diet. And also, at the next level, our appetite, the desires that we have. And I'm going to make this statement, which I believe is true. It does need to be held in tension, but I believe it is true that following Jesus is more about hungering and thirsting than knowing and believing. Let me say that again. Following Jesus is more about hungering and thirsting than knowing or believing, because it is possible in the life stage of a Christian that we can get to a passive state that says, I know and I believe, but we can be heading the opposite way to Jesus. And here's what I say, maybe controversial, but I don't think so. That our direction and our affection Our desires, where we're heading, is more important than our sin. If that wasn't wasn't the case, no one could repent. Because repentance is turning around from wherever we are, knowing that we are accepted by Jesus and walking towards Jesus. And if I stop at any stage and say, I know stuff and I believe stuff and I've got experience as a Christian and I either plant myself there or I start to walk the other way away from Jesus, I think I've lost it. I think I've lost the plot. Because our desire and our passion has to be orientated towards the person of Jesus. Why does Jesus flip the flow in this statement? Is in the Middle East, no one wants to be hungry and thirsty. Right in Australia, if if I am really thirsty... I'll just go up to someone's house to the tap on the side and just help myself to some clean drinking water. How many countries in the world can you do that? Not too many. All right, there's numbers away. But in that time, with the amount of poor people, you do not want to be hungry and thirsty. But Jesus flips it, but he also says, if you hunger and thirst, you will be full. Here's my question to you. Are you hungry? And thirsty. 
Do you have a passion? Do you have a growing passion for Jesus? Or have you stopped? Are you stagnant? Are you happy with what you know? Are you happy with what you believe? I think those things are important. But I would say our pursuit of Jesus, our pursuit of the person of Jesus, our pursuit of the character of the nature of Jesus, that is so important. That is so important. When people look at you, encounter you, have a conversation with you, were to see you're weak, would that be heading in the direction of Jesus? Not is it perfect. I'm not saying it's perfect. I'm saying where is it going? Maybe this week it's one step forward. Maybe sometimes you feel like you're going backwards. But I want to encourage you that we must hunger and thirst And it's even more important than what we know and what we believe. And here is what the statement it is, my last statement. The kingdom of God is in you if you are driven to please God. Because everybody has something that drives us, even if that drive is to do nothing. If you are a passive person, you are driven to, you, can, you can be driven to laziness, all right? Everybody has got a, a drive to something. But what is that? What, where is your drive? Is your orientation that I live to please God, that I live to glorify God, that I'm on the journey towards God, that God and what God wants is more important to me than my relationships, my finances. That is the first thing in my life. It's more important to me than my career, that I put God first. That doesn't mean you don't have money or finances or meaningful relationship. I'm just saying, what is the priority and where are you going? Are you driven to please God? Here's what I would also say. If you are feeling empty, either those here or listening on the podcast, if you are feeling like you have no spiritual resources or energy resources, This is God's answer to that. Begin to hunger and thirst for God. Begin to hunger and thirst for the presence of God. Begin to position yourself. Maybe it's on your knees. Maybe it's just stopping and pausing in your time. Just saying, God, I don't have anything. I just, I need to receive. This is where you are going to get filled. And you know what the alternatives are that we distract ourselves? or try and appeal to our flesh. But God is saying, if you want to be filled with me, and if you want the kingdom of God to fill your life and then spill out in an overflow, then you must hunger and thirst for the things of God. Here's a prayer that I pray many mornings. It's a simple prayer. God, help me want what you want and love what you love. Jesus did not come just to change our intellect or our mind. Jesus actually came to reform our deepest desires, to reform deep within what we want most and what we love most. That is why he came. That is what it means, the heart, the seat. The the Hebrew word for heart is the seat of our emotions, the seat of our desire to reform our willpower, what we think is most desirable in our hearts, in our emotions. Do we want what Jesus wants? 
Are we driven to glorify and please God? We're going to be done in about two minutes. But here's my question. What if we started to live like this? What if we started to say, hey, God, I am so dependent upon you that I, my spirituality, the peace is dependent upon you. What if we started to live with this attitude and posture of meekness that every situation we partner with God? that our strength partners with God, that our weaknesses partner with God? What if we were emotionally moved by what moves God? And what if we lived with this desire to seek God, to head towards God? I believe that we would start to see change, that the kingdom within us would be created around us in our families, in our homes, in our workplaces. There would be a tangible difference. Here's something that I hope that people would never say about me. And I hope that you wouldn't want people to say about you is that, ah, this person, they're just like everybody else, but they go to church on Sunday. That is not what God has called us to. That is not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is something that is birthed within us that begins to spread out of us. And so we're going to take a moment just to uh, pray. Jesus, we, uh, we honour you. We honour you in this place. You're where we're going. We've, we've got a, a course charted. Lord, you've called us to represent you, but you also promised that you would give the power of the Holy Spirit to be your witnesses. Acts chapter 1. And so, God, we pray right now the presence of the Holy Spirit is actually going to flood your heart. If you're hungry right now, you will be filled. If you don't know how to be hungry or thirsty, just put your hands in front of you and just say, I'm open. Holy Spirit, just flood this place. Holy Spirit, just flood our hearts right now. Lord, we want to hunger and thirst for you. We want to be filled. We want to have that confidence that the kingdom of God is living within us. Lord, we want people to be compelled by a life that represents Jesus. Lord, we want to reject the ways and the patterns of this world and embrace your pattern, your kingdom. And with God, we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Real quick before we go, while your eyes are closed, if anyone here wants to take that first step towards Jesus and follow Him, uh, I want to pray for you. You can do that just by lifting your hand wherever you are. Yeah, I see that hand. Is there anyone else? God, we just thank You. Thank You. Is anyone else that wants to take that step? Thank You, Jesus. Lord, we thank You that this hand this indication of need for Jesus, this is where it starts. To say, I'm nothing without you, God. And so, God, we thank you and we honour you for that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.
Thank you for listening. You can find out more about City Lights Church at www.citylights.community.